then people are going, I thought you retired. Why are you making all this stuff? You know, and I go, this is who I am. This is what I've done since I was a little kid. You know, locked in a room, making things all day, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how I have fun. So, Todd, I don't know if you can hear that god-awful racket in the background, but that's my printer working away. Oh, yeah. I thought maybe you'd got squirrels are powering the shop and it's, they're running around on the wheel. That'd be nice. No, I'm, I'm printing. Uh, well, I showed you that little thing. That's very cool. It's, it's the lowest set, like in terms of quality, it's the lowest quality because I just wanted a fast print. And uh, it's like 90 minutes, but it's pretty good. So I'm happy with that. So I've got, I sculpted something in, in Sculptress, just a little zombie face. And uh, I got to say, uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, it was tricky. But I had uh, a guy called Theodore Rowan Salisbury help me out. He's a makeup effects guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he's uh, familiar with 3D printing. And I put a call out on Facebook saying, help, I need uh, someone to hold my hand and sort this out. And, uh, and Theo. Well, I think using Using Simplify 3D as your slicer is a is is huge because mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's the best slicer on the market and it's so tweakable. Well, you can yeah, really really finesse it. Well, it's good to know. I mean, he was like, "Oh, you're going to need this. You're going to need this," and then like very quickly, you know, it was good. So, Theo, thank you very much for your time. He came all the way over here and spent the day getting my printer set up right. You're a good egg, Theo. Things, so. Yeah, man. So thanks a lot for that. Appreciate it. Um, so that was cool. Um, so that's that's buzzing away. Um, and yeah, um, you're getting ready to go to China. Is that right? Are you packed? Are your bags ready to go? <laughs> yeah, you're funny. <laughs> oh dear. Um, no. <laughs> I've got no, bourbon. No, I'm. I am. Uh, yeah. Well, it's it's the drinking lamp is lit in the UK. And has been for some time. Oh dear! Uh, no, I am. I am. I am far from ready to go. Thank goodness, I don't. My flight doesn't leave until six p.m. tomorrow, so I've got the morning to deal with stuff. Okay, I'm but I'm in. Yeah, I'm in. I'm, in, I'm in okay here. shape. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. So, it was, so, uh, so, how so? Is it just, just, just things aren't working out the way, or you just got a lot more to do than? You'd hope, or? Uh, just a lot more, a lot more to do, and trying to figure out. It's it's going to be more of a, a game of Tetris, I think, putting it all together and trying to figure out where the fuck all this stuff's going to go. Mm. Because one of the demos that I'm that I'm doing at this makeup event is um, I'm reprising the silly aliens that uh, I did for a Colorado lottery commercial a couple of years ago. So the head piece for this makeup is the size of a basketball. And, okay, <laughs> i got to pack that. And then I'm packing um, sculpting forms, vac-formed faces for my students to sculpt their masks on. So it's going to be, volume-wise, it's, it's going to be a lot. And weight-wise, it's going to be a lot. So thankfully... I have a nonstop flight from Los Angeles to Guangzhou. I don't have to change planes in Shanghai, which sucks a dick. Because mm-hmm. uh, you have to pick up your baggage in Shanghai, 
recheck it, you know, go, they have to reinspect it, recheck all the stuff, and then, then go get on, and it's, it's a pain in the ass. And the Shanghai airport sucks. Right. It's not air con- it's not air conditioned, so it's like 108 degrees inside this airport. That does not sound like fun. No, but I think I get to bypass Shanghai this time and go straight from LA to Guangzhou. At least that's what all the flight information on my itinerary says and I hope it's right. Oh, that's cool. And then you're going to be there yeah. for a little while, like you say, like 16 days? Yeah, 10, 10 days. days. Yeah, I come back on the 16th. Days, I, I come back the 16th, okay. yeah. And will you be horribly jet lagged? Was it was it terrible for you last time you did that? Yeah, it's um it's worse coming back because uh, it's just longer, I think. It's is it longer coming? Depends on the rot I I can never keep it keep it straight, you know, the rotation of the earth. You pick up you gain a little mm-hmm. when you're going against the rotation. Because you know you got stuff coming toward you, I think. So I think it might actually be shorter trip coming home mm-hmm. than going there because you're kind of going. I, I think going there, I'm going with the rotation of the planet, right. so it takes longer. Does that make sense? It does indeed. Yeah, you got that. Working all you, for you, all you flat earthers, fuck off. <laughs> If it's flat, could you please send a photograph of the edge, please? Please. A definitive photo of the edge. Yeah, that'd be good. Oh, man, that's so funny. That would make a, an interesting um, experiment to see how that could improve. <laughs> yeah, otherwise. yeah. It's a, boy, is my face red if somebody actually posts one. It says, nanner, nanner, nanner. <laughs> well, it's tricky, though. I mean, I've seen a T-Rex running around, so on film so you know i can't believe your eyes it's a question of faith yeah who knows but i'm, I'm pretty sure that's bullshit i've seen the curvature of the oath in my own eyes so uh, as as have i yeah so there we go um so there we go so this episode we uh we have a, a very cool interview with rick baker dun 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 which was really neat. And that this was recorded in August at um, Rick's workshop studio. And uh, it was very cool. And um, uh, the things that I got out of this more than anything else was w- the joy that he had. I mean, you'll hear when he listens to it. The joy he has now that he's retired. Because he can do all the things he ever wanted to do. And the reason I wanted to speak to Rick. Uh, and what I didn't want to do was talk to him about like the old days. Because I think that's been done to death. I think so many people have asked him about American Way Off and Thriller and all that kind of stuff. Not that it wouldn't be interesting to hear, but there's plenty of documented stuff about that. I I wanted to talk to him about New Rick. What's he doing now? What's happening now for Rick? Sure, well, kind kind of like the conversation we had with Steve Laporte. Yes, exactly. It's like it's all about what's coming. You know, he's retiring to something rather than from something, and it's like, um, you know, and he's just having a ball. And a lot of it has come from the freedom that he's gotten from working digitally. So he's doing a lot of digital sculpting and he's 3D printing, but he's also still doing sculpting, still doing painting, still making molds, still doing practical stuff. But he can do it all to his schedule, to the level, to the degree that he wants to. And he doesn't have to answer Yeah, he doesn't anyone. have to get any, any el- anyone else's approval for his designs either. No, no. So it's, it's, it's lovely. And it's like, you can see it, you know, in the stuff he's doing. He's always done great work but it's just now it's great work that he wants to do the way he wants to do it so it was very very cool so i kind of really 
came out of it quite jealous, feeling like, man, I want to like win the lottery or something so I can just, you know, cleave a bunch of time and just say, that's what I want to do all my time. Um, but, uh, you know, it, I think it's amazing to think that um, that whole digital side of thing, and it really did give me a kick up the ass with regards to 3D printing. And you may hear in the background my, my printer occasionally grinding away and making some noises but it's like, yeah when I, mine is going in in non-linear motions when it's doing it printing out a circular pattern it actually sings i want to record it because it's it's almost like an alien language it's like what has timmy fallen down the well <laughs> talking of which weirdly my cat i had to rescue my cat i went to the uh i came back from um, dropping theo off at the station and then pulled up in my drive and i hear this meowing and the 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 driveway is dark because it's dark here at this you know early like four o'clock it's pitch black onwards and I heard a meowing coming from way high up I'm like is that cat in a tree and I look up and I shine my torch up and I see these two eyes looking at me from the roof of the workshop the silly fucker is ten feet off the ground <laughs> and I, he, how do you get up I don't know how he got up there but he couldn't get down I had to get the ladder and then he wasn't going to come towards me so I had to like try and grab him and then he's all claws and you know. And got him down. It was fine, but it was just like, <laughs> how, did, how dare you I mean, rescue me? Well, yeah, but just like, don't go up there if you can't get down, you idiot. But, you know, that cat is a bellend. I love him to bits, but he really is a bell, not a cat. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, typical cat. So he's all there. But yeah, so, uh, so I, sorry, I, I digress. But the, um, yeah, it was just that the, the, the thing I got out of it was like, you know, he basically feeling like a kid and just enjoying his creativity. And I think that was the thing that really got me excited talking to him was that he still has that desire to create stuff and he loves it he loves making things and that's the best thing about this stuff if you you don't have to be working on films to do this stuff and things like 3d printers they just kind of free you entirely of so much stuff you don't need to have a lathe you don't need to have a milling machine this that was like the only way you could ever produce any of these hard edge things and now you can do yeah. a lot of stuff with it so i'm excited to see what i can do with it but it's like it is just a way of having that you know those creative urges fulfilled and it's um it's lovely oh you're gonna find all kinds of fun stuff to do with it that you would in the past have done a different way but now mm -hmm. we'll use your printer because you can yeah oh man i'm looking forward to it i think it's gonna be amazing so that should be very very cool but yeah you know just not not necessarily thinking about films and not waiting for films as well you know not not waiting to be picked just getting into stuff and just making the things you want to make um, I was remember the. Um, do you remember the Alan Hops uh, episode from a while yeah. back? I'm trying mm -hmm. to think what number episode that was. Um, and he said, you know, like like a lot of people think of film as being, you know, the, the the one only end result. And it's like, no, there's so much more to creativity. Don't limit yourself to just that. And like, if you don't get chosen for a film, then that means you can't do anything. Um, that's silly. Uh, number twenty one, Alan Hops, Scaremaster. That was it. Number twenty one, podcast number twenty one. There's a part in there where he says, like, you know, don't just think about the um you know films and stuff it's like you can do this stuff all kinds of ways it's all it's all about the love of making that's the thing it's not just well if i can't make films then i'm not gonna do it at all it's like you know you get your joy from it and to see someone who's done it for so long still getting a kick out making stuff yeah oh no um, it's the fountain of youth man yeah it is it's like keeping your you, brain busy you do what you love yeah you do what you love and and it keeps you young i I had the good fortune of having lunch with Chuck Jones mm -hmm. a number of years ago. I, I, I bought a an animation cell of his and was able to have lunch with him while he was in town once. And it was like having lunch with a 12-year-old. It was great. Chuck Jones? As in the animation Chuck yeah. Jones? That's as amazing. As in Looney Tunes, yep. 
Yeah. How did you How did you wind I, that? Was that where you were working at the time? Yeah, that's, that's what I was doing at the time. And I, I, ha- I have a cell hanging, as you, you've seen it. It's yes. um, hanging right of the steps, uh, stairs as you come down down to my to my workshop. And that's it's a real cell. What's Opera Dock. It's, oh my god! It's, yeah, it's Bug, Bugs Bunny on the horse. That's amazing. It is, and he was such a such a fun fun man. Well, I think that's the thing. If people, you know, they if people do have a lot of love for what they do, and a lot of what they do in their life is something they care about, it just kind of comes out of the pores. You know what I mean? It isn't like a an effort to exist. It's lovely. So cool. Uh, How long did you get to spend with them? Uh, about an hour and a half, which was cool, and then grab a little bit of lunch, which was cool. At um, and then you know it was, but it was just like I didn't think we'd get an hour and a half, but he was just he was just happy to chat. It's amazing. Anyway, enough blithering from me. Let's go over now and listen to my interview with Rick Baker. So, I am. So embedded in the old school stuff, mm-hmm. I'm still having a hard time getting my head around ZBrush, particularly. I have used Photoshop successfully mm-hmm. for years. I'm a very big fan of the whole Adobe suite. I use it all. But it's ZBrush I, I'm having trouble with. And I had a hypothesis I want to run by you. Mm-hmm. And you can tell me if you think I'm way off or if it has some validity. Okay. Uh, that when you, at the moment, my understanding is when somebody, if I make a nose... In theory, I could take the life cast, I could design it, I could sculpt it, mold it, apply it, stick it on the performer. They then act on it, wearing this nose. If I've done everything I'm supposed to do, it should look like a real nose. If the lighting people light it right, if the camera's right, everything's done right, it'll look great. Mm-hmm. And I can sort of take a photo of that, put it in my folio, and reasonably say, I am responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Which suits the kind of person that likes to you know, be away mm-hmm. from everything and sculpt. Um, when you start doing it digitally, it becomes and is on a, a trend of ongoing complexity, I believe, uh, there are going to be people that scan, and that's all they do. There are going to be people that model. There's going to be other people that maybe put light in. And mm. It can get... becomes the job of several people who have to work in a part Which is what the makeup one. industry has become, too, hasn't it, though? And yes, you know, I, I mean, suppose. A, I mean, you know, in American Werewolf days, we did everything, you know, sculpt, mold, run foam rubber, do all that stuff. Mm. And then, you know towards the end of my career before I retired you know it was departmentalized these guys are the mold makers these guys are the sculptors these guys are the painters these guys are the mechanics mm. yeah. it is very much so over here but not so much in the UK really yeah you don't have quite the same union presence mm-hmm. as you do here because um, I like to do it all mm-hmm. but I wondered whether or not the fact that the digital side of things necessarily does involve I say segregated but they're separate entities because you can't know it all because it becomes ever Mm-hmm. more complicated mm-hmm. whether or not that very fact is what plays against people that would otherwise work practically because they don't want to give up 80% of the job to, to other departments they want to be able to point to it and say I did that that's mine mm-hmm. and I'm completely well, responsible for it I mean I think I think you, it's still like that I mean yes. these guys are the modelers so they can say that, you know they modeled it and I mean I think that's one of the most critical things in the, in, in the digital thing is to get the model correct you know so I mean what I loved about ZBrush because I did it when it was brand new the same with with Photoshop I I, and again this was because I learned from Jack Pierce's mistakes you know when Jack Pierce was thrown out of Universal in the 40s for not staying current with materials and stuff you know I put that away and said I'm not going to have no (laughs) me yeah but plus I enjoy 
you know, learning new things and having a new toy to play with. You know, I mean, Photoshop, it, it was 1.0 and I got it, you know, and this was like in the very late 80s, you know, or maybe 90. Uh, but I, I had never even used a computer before. Oh, you wow. know, I mean, we had a, a little Macintosh in the office, one of those little ones that was like this with a screen that big. And, you know, working with people on schedules and stuff and, and typing letters, and went, this is so cool that you, you don't have to use whiteout or, and, you know, like a, and, you know and, and you could move the sentence over here without retyping the whole thing. You know, wouldn't it be great if we could do that, if you could draw on a computer and do that? You yeah, know? yeah. And then someone said, well, I think there's a program where you can, you know. And, um, but I didn't really answer your question. <laughs> That's okay. Um, we'll get um, around to it. It's a long question. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I told you I'd just go off and start talking. And, That's so good. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I, you know, when I did Photoshop, like I said, I, I had to learn how to turn on a computer. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned the hard way that you have to save, you know, because I'd work on something for hours. I'd get so, you know, into it and be working on it. All of a sudden the computer would freeze up and then I would lose it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, eventually I would learn, but I lo- I called it no fear painting because prior to that I would draw or paint a design, and you could do something. And I say this all the time, and people who listen to me talk are going to say he's saying that same shit again. <laughs> you know? But it's you know, painting something. You have an idea in your head. You try to get it out on a, on a canvas or board or whatever, and then it's not quite there. But it, the painting itself is pretty good, and then it's like. Well, that's not quite what I envisioned. Do I change the painting, risk screwing up a good painting? Do I do another painting? Mm-hmm. You know. And with Photoshop, I called it no fear painting. You could try things. You could always go back to what you saved as long as you saved yeah, it. You know. Yeah. And I loved that. I mean, then I would design wise, it opened me up so much more because I would try things that I probably wouldn't have tried in traditional drawing or painting. Yes, because you weren't going to scupper what was underneath. Yeah. You're just doing a new layer or whatever. Yeah, well, and that's the thing, too, because, I mean, I used to... I mean, I had my own version before Photoshop 1.0 didn't have layers, you know, but uh, but I used to paint, like, in the making of Thriller, I would paint on acetate, you know, and, and a lot of times I would do design changes. I would paint something and go, I don't want to screw that up, so I'll put acetate over it, paint what I think should be changed and sometimes I have four or five layers of acetate with different versions and you know and then okay that's the final one yeah. but to be able to do that in Photoshop and to be able to to do things like that I thought that's so great I want to try digital modeling now you know so I got this was again way in the early days and I had to buy an Amiga computer which had a this video toaster thing on it which was a video switcher which I wanted anyways which you could do dissolves and splits and things and mm-hmm. And it had a LightWave, which was a, a modeling program. And that was point and polygon modeling. And it was so foreign to what I did. Yes, it wasn't play. It was <laughs> No. And I just said, you know, there's no way you can do something organic out of this. And this is, you know, I did a like a logo thing and some, some stuff playing around. It was fun, but I, not for me. And I heard about ZBrush. And... and um, I actually met a guy who like, is one of the business guys at the company at socially at a friend's house, and he showed me on the friend's computer, ZBrush Central, with some of the work that people were posting, and frankly, I wasn't, and this was in the early days, I wasn't real impressed. He put, but it's like 3D painting in a way, and he's trying to, and I said, I don't understand. He goes, well, you know, I'll send you a copy, you know. And I actually didn't have an email address at that point, because... I'm like notorious for not answering my mail, 
and I didn't want to have another another form of mail that I didn't answer. So I thought, all right. Uh, uh, so I got an email address. I actually got hooked up to the internet. I wasn't hooked up to the internet, and uh, downloaded this free copy from this guy, and thought, well, I can figure this out because I've done a lot. Of, you know, all that Adobe stuff and a couple of different modeling programs, and and it was really weird. They had a like kind of a layer thing on. Oh, okay, I'll do this on a layer, and then it's like. I don't know what's happening. Nothing's happening here, you know. And it was like, where, you know, it was like, I thought, okay, I guess I can't figure this out, you know. So I downloaded, they had a, a you had to join ZBrush Central to download some tutorials on how to use it. So I joined ZBrush Central, said, create a screen name. I'd never created a screen name for anything before. I thought, I'll just put Monster Maker. I'll remember that, you know. <laughs> and uh, download this tutorial and had it was how to sculpt a head, basically. And I went through that about three quarters of the way through and I went, okay, I understand now, you know. And then I loved it, you know, because it was like sculpting, you know. You so had, it was a pretty short hump for you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, at first it was like, ah, and then it's like, I did that one tutorial that, you know, that was off and running. But it, I mean, mind you, ZBrush was a totally different beast in those days, you know, and you didn't have sub-tools and you didn't have Dynamesh, you didn't have all these things. And, and, but the fact that you could start with a ball and you could, push it in and stretch it out, you know, and carve into it, you know, and add to it, you know. It was like modeling, you know, and, and I love that. But what I loved even more was you could, you know, back in those days you had to use this projection master thing to do the fine texture, and you'd have to, like, drop it so you couldn't turn the model. It was like 2D. You could do the texture, and you lift it up again, and then you could then you could turn it around and look at it. And it took a while, but it was like, you could make like texture stamps, basically. You would, with a black and white image, I'd make, you know, like these, like, you know, dots and a black background, and that would be my poor stamp, you know, and mm-hmm. I'd do like crosshatch ones, and you, you could, you know, lay those things on it. And I, I love this. And, but you could have a totally textured, finished head, and you look at it, and you go, boy, I wish that head was longer. And you could just grab it and make it longer, <laughs> and not really. You could st- still keep the same texture or paint. You know? mm-hmm. I loved that, you know. And so, it was a really cool thing. And I, but I had a lot of questions. Still, there were a lot of vague things and different materials and different things that weren't kind of hard to understand. And so I thought I'll post something on ZBrush Central. It was the first thing I did, which was a Frankenstein monster. And, and if somebody likes it, maybe they can answer my question. Somebody who's been using it longer, you know. And and it wasn't it was wasn't me, so I didn't. It was Monster Maker, you know. Yeah, and people didn't know. And so it's like, okay, it isn't great, but it's okay, you know. So I posted it, and you know, right away, people went, you know, I said I just got this. This is the first thing I did, you know. I, I got some questions. If anybody would be willing to answer them, and I was like, what the fuck, man? This is the first thing you did, you know. I've had this for months, and I can't do this, you know. I was like. Well, I've had, you know, real-world practical sculpture. You know, I've been doing that for a lot of years, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, there are people who... Uh, yes, digitally, in the digital world, the CG world, it's definitely divided up like that, too, modelers. And a lot of times they'll go through a number of modelers and, and you know, the guys who do the painting of it or whatever they would call that, uh, you know, the color maps and the guys who light it and render it, and it's all divided up like that. And it is hard to put your thumbprint on something basically yeah. you know yeah. um, and it's like you know as far as like my career goes and, and my friends that were animators and effects guys you know we came along in the 
70s and 80s when makeup effects and, and uh, effects in general changed we made a lot of because like Star Wars and things like that you know and we kind of were individuals that got to be almost like superstars in our our world you yeah. know which you don't have that now you know like you said you you don't have the Dennis Murins or the Phil Tippett's like that or Ken Ralston's who you kind of know their name from those films you know it's it's a not usually not even a company now it's usually a handful of companies yeah they would just divide with, it up and right? you see like a million credits which always used to piss me off because I would have to fight I'd have to put it in my contracts and pay you know my lawyer lots of money to fight to get crew credits and they would eventually after tens of thousands of dollars say okay you can have five you know or or, or you know and then you see the computer companies and it goes on for days you know it's like that pisses me off yeah, <laughs> no, <I can't> <laughs> anyways oh I did a kick your mic um, I'm rambling on that's cool. It's 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 interesting to hear like that you obviously had your practical experience before using ZBrush, and um, and I think I mean I'm asking this question almost on behalf of myself. It's more, it's that hump I'm still having. To, I've never spent a lot of time on ZBrush. I, I do little stints, I hit brick walls, and then I've got a busy life and I'm doing something else. And I never mm. I need to keep that momentum going. So I'm pretty sure there's a a little wall. I'll break that seal and then I'll hopefully feel as good about it as I do when I do my clay stuff I could show you in a half hour everything you need to know okay if I wasn't didn't have stuff to do this afternoon I would show you <laughs> uh, uh, it it's not that hard right and it's just some real basic things you need to know now and and, uh, and then it's, it's I guess it's a case of confidently not worrying about most of it just well I mean again that's the thing about digital you don't have to worry about it you know because right. You know, you make a mistake, you do. Are you on a Mac or a PC? PC, yeah. yeah. But I have a, a legit copy of ZBrush. You know, I get the updates, and yeah, there is no shortage of, of tutorials. It's just a case of me. That's the thing. They didn't even they didn't even have those when I started out. Yeah. You know, and yeah. they had like I said a, a thing that was a few pages, you know, digital pages of, of how to do a couple of things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, it's I haven't actually downloaded the latest version that's got the new Sculptress Pro or whatever which is supposed to be really cool too okay I mean the problem in the old days would be you know when you start out with a ball it would have a certain uh, certain topology to it you know a certain number of like little cubes you know and then you stretch it and stuff but all those things would get all distorted that's right and you know I would like in Projection Master be doing pore textures and all of a sudden I'd look and there'd be these weird stretched out pores because you know, instead of having a nice little square cube, I'd have a long stretched out one, you know. Right. But now with Dynamesh, uh, yeah. it's just it's great, you know. Okay. <laughs> but it's it's not that hard. And if you watch some of the basic tutorials, and you kind of have to know where things are, because mm-hmm. there are a lot of menus, and, and a lot of people don't like that, you know. Uh, when I first got ZBrush, I went and talked to this guy that I got it from, and I said, do you guys have stock? In your, you're like a public, you know, do you, yeah, I'm, I'm I want to buy stock in this because I cannot see this no, taking yeah, over yeah. the industry, yeah, you know. Yeah. And the thing was, at first, it was getting really bad mouth from traditional 3D guys because it isn't like any other 3D program. And it isn't top view, side view, you know, thing that they're used to and mm-hmm. real 3D space in that sense. And, and the lighting is limited, but it's not so much a renderer as it is a modeler, you know. But you can get good renderings out of it now. Um, but it finally has... You know, like everybody uses it now. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's got to be done. But you know the guy over, and I you know I said to the guy, I want to I want to I want to send a love letter to the guy that 
that wrote this, you know, and it truly was. It changes it, everything. It's like, you know, this, and he's like a programmer and an artist, which are usually two different kind of people, you know. And I just said, I got to tell you, I love this. It's so much like sculpting, you know, but better in a lot of ways because, you you know, you could block the thing out symmetrically. You know, you can you sculpt me one side, you can sculpt the other side at the same time. Not that I, that was one of the things people always talked about my stuff was, it's not symmetrical. And I go, yeah, I know. It's intentionally not symmetrical. Yeah. And I actually originally would would do it like I'm sculpting it. Sculpt this side, sculpt that side, you know. Yeah. But now it, it would be, you know, I just get a, the form, of the basic form of the head and block it out two sides at once and then switch over to just... To yeah, it. make the changes you need. Or, you know, sculpt it symmetrically and push it around, you know, afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. You'll be real excited then. Want to start cracking that little zebrush? <laughs> it's. I'll tell you. It's my wife wanted to kill this guy that gave me zebrush initially because uh, my home studio used to be over the garage there in my house, which is next door, and um, she wouldn't see me. You know? And it was, you know, especially when you're learning something new and you kind of you know, exciting. It's like, yeah, it's exciting. It's like, yeah. oh, you know, what else can I do? And then I'd you know, be there all night and working on stuff. You wow. Know. I'm looking forward to getting to that state. My wife may not, but I am. Um, How's your workshop? Did you get it off hill? No, I got it nearly done. I had a couple of jobs land in my lap just before and I had to suddenly get a crew in and here I am with like benches and people working in there looking at the floors and walls going, I want to finish this, but, you know, I had some stuff to do. So, that was nice and when I get back I'm, I'm going to take a few weeks off and just get that done get the floor in while the heat because we've got weather not far off this but it's been a heat wave and I want to get it done before it you know it goes bad heat wave you probably don't have air conditioning either. we don't have air conditioning but uh, yeah the workshop will be done and I think maybe my, I'm, I'll be back end of August and I think in the two weeks I think I'll be done all the woods in all the floors it's just the floors and then that joyous thing of choosing the furniture and I get a new desktop in there and, um, and then it'll be like <laughs> although I, I already have a couple of jobs but no well, well I can wait you, know, <laughs> you, you could be out of work and have lots of time to <laughs> do yeah, that, so not have the money to pay for it so yeah it's no bad thing but uh, yeah so I think I'm just kind of like uh, letting go of that self that part of me that doesn't know how to do it and I've not I've, no, I've not known how to do it for so long it's strangely difficult to let go of it in a weird kind of way well, I don't know if that makes any sense no I, I, I understand that and, and I wonder if there's I've, people like me like that I've had so many conversations like this with people that are traditional guys that just said I I, I don't I looked at it I don't get it uh, I'm, I'm not going to do it you know and I'm it's like you know what it's not that hard and it's really cool you know and and I think you would really like it and, and, and different artist friends that would do things and I, I would show them things and some people just don't want it they just have this mental block about it and just yeah. it's not for me you know and what's nice now with printers and stuff I mean you can print stuff I mean that was the thing I had the biggest problem I have with anything digital is when I'm in the creative mode and I'm working on stuff you know, like I said, I, I finally learned to save things, but I wouldn't. I'll just hit save, you know, and then, and it's like, where did I just save that? You know, yeah, yeah, and, and find a place. What you know, what did I call it? And then it's like, oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta get better about that. I'll just save it on my desktop, you know. And then it's like, you know, Frankenstein, you know, and then it's like Frankenstein new, you know, Frankenstein newer, you know, you know, ancient age when I say Frankenstein newest, you know, yeah. and it's like, and then it's like. Or did this start hitting save? And they go, I don't know where that is. You know, so many times, I mean, I've got computers all over the place now, old computers that have all kinds of cool bottles on them somewhere. Well, you got to start off with a Dewey Decimal System before you begin and, <laughs> and stick to that. 
Yeah, which sure, I, don't, sure. I don't do. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because you're too busy. Going, oh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, but it's, it's so many times it's like, well, I know I've sculpted a hand like I need for this, but it'll probably take me less time to model it again than mm-hmm. to try to find it. Mm-hmm. And it'll be more fun modeling it again. I'll probably do better jobs. So, I mean, I yeah. just end up doing things again, you know. I think that's it. What excites me about—I mean, I, I don't have a printer yet, but I will get one. I'll probably just get a you know a cheapish printer, just just so I can physically—it doesn't need to be a high-end thing—just so I can start getting my head around outputting things in three dimensions. But it seems to me again that a lot of that is still there's a danger of people. Where you can get a print, like for example, an analogy where you can buy a cheap camera, but that doesn't make you a good photographer. You're still mm. going to know how to be, how to compose shots. You may have a high resolution or a better lens, but that doesn't make the shot good. So it's still that kind of hands-on ability to be able to do things and I do think there's a, a danger uh, like some schools or whatever that might pump out people who know how to use the program but they necessarily oh. they don't have to think and how to sculpt no, no. it's the, that's the problem with all these schools not I mean the, all the digital schools and the makeup schools you know they show you how to do something and Every time they do something after that, they do it that same way. They don't know why, other than that's why that person showed them. You know? Yes. I learned through trial and error. I learned the hard way what undercut is. You know, doing it in my very first life mask, I had made of my face and did. A, I was doing a, a science fair project in seventh grade, I think, and I decided I didn't really want to do science, but. I thought, you know, making a mask is kind of like science, and this, you know, I'm a science fair project on how to make a mask, you know. And uh, prior to that, I had actually sculpted my mask on that visible head model that things got those googly eyes on it now. That oh. it was like a clear plastic thing that has no undercuts on it, you know. Okay. So when I'd sculpt something on that, I you know put plaster on it, pull, it comes right off, you know. Did a life mask, and it was only like to here, you know. And I still had undercuts here, you yeah. Know? yeah. And this was the first time I was doing a mask on a schedule and stuff, you know, and I had to have these things done in a certain time frame. And, uh, you know, got the sculpture done and made this mold and could not get the damn thing off. Mm-hmm. And, and it was like, my, and I didn't have a master mold, a life mask. It was the first, was, I did a plaster waste mold in my face, you know, and, and it's like, all right, I guess I have to break this mold off and start again, you know, and I figured yeah. out what it was. And I, not that I haven't had close calls before, but I don't think I've had a mold totally locked you know, since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's uh, a lesson. And I know, know, yeah, and I know why, and I know yeah. why I do things again from figuring it out, you know, through trial and error, and just you know. And I'm so glad I did because mm-hmm. I mean I had to do things that people had never done before, and and on a schedule, you know, and yeah. and it it. My brain was good at like problem solving and, and, and that kind of stuff because of the way I learned, you know. Which I guess it's the same with digital. It is, and I mean, all these guys. I mean, you'll come out and you know. I mean, I'm sure the little guy that goes to some like Norman school or something will come out and understand ZBrush better than I do. But I bet I can probably model stuff better than he does still. You know, and it's yeah, like, absolutely. you know, yeah. um, from having that real world, you know, experience. Yes. And, 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 you know, Phil, I remember Phil saying stuff about the digital guys because, yes, they know the program, they, you know, they know all this stuff, but they don't understand what a center of gravity is and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, all these different things that people who work with the real world things do. You know? Yes. I mean, that's what it needs, I think. It needs to have, like, um, sort of outcome... <sighs> Sounds really 
wanky, but like outcome specific thinking, like we're going to look at aging and we're going to look at what aging is or what scary is mm-hmm. and then figure out what it is that if you see something that's scary, let's break that down. What is it that's scary about it? How do we render that? What do we emphasize or, or subdue in order to get that effect? Mm-hmm. And then we might look at what ter- materials we'd use rather than saying, let's learn ZBrush, this is a monster. Mm-hmm. And like you say, you take that wholesale, this is creepy, and then you stop thinking beyond that. And I think if you if you want to be a better sculptor, don't think you have to just dig digital, you'd clay and everything. Because mm-hmm. ultimately, it's the, it's the modeling that's the priority. Mm-hmm. And you have to be using the ZBrush or the clay to get that end result. Well, I mean, that's what was really cool about I mean, when when digital stuff first started happening, you know, like in the 90s, we instantly became dinosaurs. You know, we were the guys that did the effects for films. And, it were like, and then all of a sudden, oh, that's old school, this is new stuff, you know. And I'm going, it's cool technology, but then, you know, I said, but it doesn't look that good. It's, you know, and, and I go, the stuff we're doing is better. I'm sorry, you know, at, at that time. You know, now I'm amazed at what they can do, you know, and you know, half the time you don't know that you're looking at something that's not real, you know, and um, especially when it's handled by people that have a good eye, you know. But, but instantly we were, like, outdated, you know. And then, like, when Benjamin Button was happening... Um, we actually did uh, a head for uh, I forgot who was it was it Chuck Russell I think one of these directors that was going to do a film about uh, Bruce Lee and they were going to digitally bring Bruce Lee back so at my shop and, and this was basically Kaz's work we did a, a, a Bruce Lee likeness head silicone hair punch everything that they were going to make that computer model from you know and I said well you know, you should scan it before you paint it to get the, everything without the hair and stuff. Yeah. I think you could, when we paint it, you could scan it and use that as the color map. You know, you could have this head to look at and you could really match it. And it turned out the whole thing went belly up because I think Bruce Lee's family didn't want to see okay. Bruce alive again. Sure. Um, but this was for Digital Domain, was doing the work. And they got into trouble with some someone else was doing some heads for him and it wasn't working out and and they called us to do like damage control and and it was they were embracing our knowledge of you know you understand age and and you know what skin does and the textures and all the stuff more than we do we want you to sculpt these heads that will scan and we want you to paint the heads and we'll scan that and do these things, you know. And they were embracing our knowledge, which was really nice, you know, which I thought was going to happen. I thought, because in the beginning it was like, you know, rubber guys, pixel guys, you know, I thought eventually we're going we're gonna to work together, you know, and that'll be the best of both worlds, you know. We do things that we can't do. We can't take the guy's nose off, you know. Um, but it became the only way to do things, you know. Yeah. You know? But on Benjamin Button, because I also didn't think, I said, you know, I don't want to credit because uh, I didn't think it was going to work, you know. Said so you can give my company a credit, this innovation credit, but um, and it, it, they got to work. Venture again. I mean, they embraced our knowledge. We would look at stuff and critique it and tell them what we saw. Mm-hmm. But Fincher also had a really great eye, and he and nobody else I think could have done it and made it work, you know. And to his credit too, we invited me to the premiere. Uh, went with my wife in Westwood. He's in line doing the red carpet gauntlet and I'm walking by and he sees me, stops the interview he's doing, runs over to me and says this movie wouldn't have worked without you I can't thank you enough 
you know, you, you save my ass. You know, and say, wow, wow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because yeah. so. he has a digital background, doesn't he, David? He does, yeah, so, yeah. So he and appreciates and knows how to work those things. But he also, I mean, his, his attitude, and I thought this was really cavalier, you know, it was in the beginning when I first started talking to him about it, was, well, they'll write some software to make it work, you know. They, yeah. They'll be able to figure out something to do. Well, I'm all the time in the world, you know, and it's like yeah. that uncanny valley thing, you know. And they did a, he did a commercial as a test uh, with Digital Domain where they brought Orville Redenbacher, as a pop, it was a popcorn. I don't know if they have it in, in England, but it's like an American pop microwave popcorn. Yeah, 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 I know it. And the guy who started the company named Orville Redenbacher eventually died, and they brought him back and did a digital with the glasses and the mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was scary. You know, it was one of those uncanny valley things. (laughs) We're not ready for this. Yeah, you can do it, but I'm not prepared. He showed me, and I went, "Yeah, okay, that's not working." (laughs) But you know, he's he made he made it work. I mean, I think that there's that that weird thing of being so comfortable with something that you. the, the method of how it's done you transcend that and you don't worry about it mm-hmm. and uh, a way I would look at it is like when you see on Instagram someone will do something really cool and then like 50 people will copy it and then someone will copy the copy and then it, it gets watered and it becomes like a trope and it's almost like yeah you've you've kind of mastered the material but I can see because I know the antecedent to that I can see you haven't got the soul of it you're just it's, it's like someone it's like a, a, a Sounds mean, but I don't mean it to sound. It's like a kid making noises, like when they hear their parents talk, and they're mm. not really making words; they're making sounds that are like words, but they think they're talking. Mm. But we all know they're not, and it it, it 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 bugs me a lot when I see a lot of people copying stuff and not really getting to the meat and potatoes of it. But um, it's also, I mean, didn't you copy other people's makeups when you started out? And I, I did. You I know? did. I did. But I think. I don't want it to stop. There are people that seem to just copy for the yeah. sake of copying because they just want to have something to be seen and it doesn't seem like their honest intention is to get better and, 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 and really get good at something. I think that's my bugbear with mm. one of that. Yeah. And I think... And yeah, like I, who did that zipper makeup the first time? <laughs> I don't know, but I want to find that girl. Um, and I think that can happen with the digital stuff and you get so many people doing stuff. I don't know. Just, well, I've I, had I people, want to see good stuff done, not just... I've had people... Take my literally take my images and put them on their website and say it was theirs. Right. And I've been and, and Zebra Central was good when they find, eventually found out who I was. You know, people would message me and go, I don't know if you know this, but so this company has got a picture of your Popeye and they're claiming it's something that they did. You know, and and I also I mean the thing that scares me about digital is if you send somebody the file. It's the original thing. I mean, it's not like yeah. There's no duplicate as such. You know, it's the same as what I have on my computer, mm-hmm. and who knows where that is, you know that can go to anybody anywhere. You know, mm-hmm. and and so I mean, I'm a and it's like, well, you know, what do I care really? You know, but then still, I don't want to give away something that I worked on for a long time. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then it becomes very tight and close. I mean, I've done some a few bits with Marvel, and they have just it becomes like a lockdown with information and you need special access to get emails and it suddenly becomes a big machine where you have to do stuff and it, it just becomes expensive and more complicated what in theory should be much simplified it becomes difficult because of the politics of it oh, no, like I, you know if you build a barrel you know that's now an asset we know you'd have to pay someone to build a barrel so we're going to charge you accordingly to use the barrel that we have on a hard drive we don't have to store it in a warehouse <laughs> So it's not like digital could be cheaper, but it kind of isn't because mm. the people that have the assets stop you from. 
Well, you know, <laughs> the thing that I think is so weird, and this, I mean, this is why I wish I was better about filing stuff away where I knew where it was, because, I mean, it's true. I mean, you sculpt a, a full figure of body, you've got a body, mm-hmm. you know, and then it's like, well, I needed a taller one. You, know, yeah. you got it, you know, you yeah. got the hands, you know, it's like, and you could reuse that stuff or any monster part, you know, or you can yeah. cut and paste in, in digital. As so, well, you know? in theory, we could end up with a point where everything that could possibly need to be sculpted is realistically being created somewhere. Right. But or scanned. Or scanned. Yeah. Yeah, we still want to make stuff, mm-hmm. you know? We yeah. still want to be responsible for creating things. That's yeah. that's the thing that's hard. And I think the rub is that, I don't know, that maybe it isn't with film anymore. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it, go, it, it goes beyond that. It's just that people want to be able to make something. Because like you say, when you make, it's the joy of creating and being capable of doing something. I think that's the thing. Yeah, um, and, and maybe I mean, it's not I just don't anymore. know what people who don't make things do to stay entertained, you know, because <laughs> yeah. this is how I have fun, you know. Yeah. And that's the thing that amazed me on my Instagram when I, you know, when I retired... You know, then people are going, I thought you retired. Why are you making all this stuff? You know, and I go, no, I retired from the film industry, the fucked up, stupid film industry, mainly so I could make stuff that I wanted to make without the frustration and have the love for it that I once had. You know, this is who I am. This is what I've done since I was a little kid. You know, locked in a room making things all day. You know, mm-hmm. that's how I have fun. You know, and, and uh, it's it's got to be really boring to not be creative. Such a kick to make something that you know, didn't exist, you know, two days ago. You've got it in front of you now, you know, yeah. and, or you know, a month ago, or whatever, you know, and and uh, yeah, and it is nice. I mean, I and I would always try, like you were saying, just that you, you can't put one, you can't say this person made this thing because there's so many people and that. And that's one thing I didn't like about having a crew because it used to be I did everything myself, and then I the jobs slowly started growing I started to have to train people and have assistants and who would screw things up for me you know and then it was like <laughs> and it was like well, well and end up taking your time too it was like fortunately for me it was a slow process you know it started with Rob Botine first you know and um, and it's like well it's taken me so much time to explain to him how to do it and then to correct the things that are wrong I probably could have done it myself you yeah. know but then it's like no, you really couldn't have, you know, and you have to accept that it isn't going to be what you're going to do, but it's, but you can't do it yourself in mm. this time frame. And yeah, but I always tried to give, let people have a certain amount of creative freedom so they could call it their own too. You know what I mean? And yeah, I don't like, and same thing when I have sculptors working for me, a lot of times I'll, and mind you, that also caused problems like on American World if I would block a lot of things out, get everything there, and give it to somebody to texture, and then come back, and they would have changed it. And I was like, no, you were supposed to put texture on it, you weren't supposed to move this over here and move that. <laughs> you know, okay, yeah, yeah. forget it, I'm going to do it myself. You know what I mean? And that happened numerous times on that film, and, and uh, it, it, there are, it, it's, it's hard. You know, I would try to give them something and go, but you can... You know, yes. It's okay for you to change it here. You yes, know. you want more of you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah, want yeah. duplicates of yourself, and that's not possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or, or to suffer, like you say, that kind of, oh, I can't, I can't yeah. know that this is But different. then, you know, I mean, but I'm talking more about in the beginning of the days of this kind of stuff, too. Now, it's like when you have Mitch Devane's and you've got Kazu's and stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I knew that, I mean, I, and what always amazed people when they come to my shop is, like, you actually do stuff, Rick. And I go, yeah, this is why I got into this business. I don't want to have a business. I hate that part of it. I like making stuff. Mm-hmm. And if it 
if my business evolved in this monster where the only thing I did was talk on the phone and go to meetings, I would stop because that's not, you know, I have fun. And I changed my, I mean, it used to be, like in American War, for example, uh, you know, the, the crew were kids, basically, that, that I brought, you know, Steve Johnson out from Texas, I brought Kevin Brennan out from Connecticut, because these were kids that sent me fame out. There weren't people, there weren't, it wasn't like there is now, where you've got a ton of people to choose from that are good sculptors and good mold makers. And, and we had a whole, like, training period first. Uh, this is how I do a life mask. I'm going to do a life mask of you today, and then tomorrow you're going to do him, and then, then we're going to show you how to make the mold of this. And, you know, um, I, I forget where I was going with this, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that several times. Yeah. yeah I'm getting old. Eh? You get, well, you, you get into it. Mm. But yeah, yeah, you have a range of people, like I said, they've, they've become very capable now to the point where you can just leave them and you know what they're going to do. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, had that was it. I mean, it was, you know, like now it's like, you know, I know that, I mean, so they would go, they'd go home at a certain time and that's when I would usually do my sculpting because I like to not be interfered with, you know, and during normal business hours with the phone and the shit and then answering their questions and it just frustrated me to try to sculpt them. So after they'd go home, I'd sculpt, you know. And it was my way of working. I would usually work until like two in the morning, you know, or, or... and at a certain point, I, went, I you know, my wife and I wanted to have kids, and I just said, I'm going to have to change my, I want to come home, I want to be a dad, I don't want to just be an absentee dad, I saw too many of them in the film industry, I, mm. you know, from the time I was young, so, you know, I'd see some older guy, who was probably 20 years younger than me now, and, and saying, you know, my daughter's graduating from high school, and I don't even know who she is, you know, and, yeah, you know, I've been working good. 12 hours a day for the whole, her whole life, you know. Yeah. And I wanted to be a dad, and I wanted to be around, and so did my wife. And so, and that happened on Gremlins too. And I said, okay, I'm going. I'll, only, I'll sculpt some initial design stuff, and I'm just going to supervise and not actually sculpt on this because I know I want to go home at night, and I know I can't sculpt during the day like that. And and I had to give these things up. And that's again where I let them have a lot more freedom too, you know, to try to put their stamp on it as well. And, um, but it was hard for me to do that. And then once my kids got a little older and, and Daddy wasn't the most important person in their life, then... That's a kind hard of, day, though. <laughs> yeah, that was hard. But I, I, I mutated back to me working on stuff. Yeah. But so many people that were, like, you know, at the head of a company would just be the business guy, you know, and that's not what I wanted to be, you mm. know. And, yeah. You know, like I said, I, it's how I have fun. And I, I mean, a lot of the thing about me retiring, besides the fact I was old, was... Uh, it just became not fun anymore and I didn't want this thing that I love to not be fun you know and, yeah. and it's fun again you know and I'm, I'm, I feel like a kid again you know because I make what I want without all the bullshit of you know people telling me to move a pore after the mold is made you know <laughs> and the, yeah. the lack of understanding what how this stuff is made still you know amazes yeah, yeah. me and then it's like I just got a small little change I want you to move this pore over here you know and I went well it would have been a small change when it was in clay. Now. Now that it's molded and it's a yeah. former piece, I can't do that. And it went, no, it's a little change. I go, no, it's not a little change. And mm-hmm. No, it's just little, just move that. And I go, no. starting over again with the sculpture, you know. Mm-hmm. No, just move the pour. It's like they don't get it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it seems that, like, the, the film industry afforded the opportunity to do these things, and now those things have a life of their own that goes beyond the film industry because film industry can be quite a... 
well, it change it has changed obviously how you know everything mm. gets micromanaged and stuff but it feels like that's where I'm at I'm not comparing myself to you at all but I find myself frustrated by not being able to do things as well or as nicely as they could be done as I as I know they could be done because of things that are happening now and it's almost like when trade shows come along that's actually when I have more fun because mm. I get to do everything the way it should be done mm-hmm. and maybe for me film isn't the thing in a moment or I do what I have to do but I'll, I'll, I'll divide my time up no, no it's it can be, it I mean it was you know it was making me a bitter old guy and it was weird because I when I was a young whippersnapper you know meeting makeup bars and stuff I met some guys and they'd be like these crab ass old farts you know and I went how can they be like this and they're working in films and making stuff you know and then I you know found myself becoming that but the industry I mean I saw major changes in the industry in my time you know mm. I mean I started out no budget independent films in the 70s and you'd have a week or two and, and a couple hundred bucks to make something and you did the best you could you know American Werewolf really changed things because you know I John Landis had written that one before he did Schlock which was my second film his first film and he he said this is going to be my next movie and this is what I want to do and you know and you know how would you do it and I, go, I don't know but I'd love to try you know uh, you know fortunately it came along ten years later I had a long time to think about it you okay. know but, but when Werewolf came out he you know he said I said I can tell you now I'm going to need more time and more money than what I had on this movie you know and I said and something and I'd only done two films but I go so far. I haven't had enough time, enough money to do what I'd really like to do, and we could do stuff so much cooler mm. if we have more time, you know. More time than anything. It's like, you know, the money, you know, we get the money for materials. I don't even care if you pay me, you know, more. I Just give me the chance to do it right, you know. And when Werewolf came out, uh, I did a ton of interviews, and people said, what, what's, the, was there like a new material that allowed you to do the stuff that nobody had done before? I go, no, we had time and money. You know? Yeah. And, and I started, the producers became a lot more educated to the fact that if they gave us a little more time and more money, they would get better results. And I, you know, in Gremlins too, I was, I had like a year's prep on that film, I think, you know. Uh, Gorillas in the Mist, I had a really long time. I remember the films where they would give us the time, and then that all went away, you know. I mean, I think it's one, part of the problem with the digital revolution was it's made for sloppy filmmaking, and it's like, well... You know, we'll just paint out that C stand and just leave it there. You know, and, yeah, absolutely. And, or you know, we'll fix it in post, and that, you know, and it makes it so. The problem I always had, and I think this is one reason why so many people rely on the digital stuff now, is to get the decisions I needed early on. I mean, if I'm starting something a year before the film's made, the director was usually doing another film, so. He, I would bug him to try to get answers to try to get my job you know, for his next film. He's more worried about what he's working on now, you know. So, yeah. And a lot of times I'd get answers that were just like get lost kind of answers. Just okay, we'll tell him something and we'll change our mind later, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I totally understand that. You know, you don't want to be thinking about something a year from now when you've got really pressing problems right now, you know. And digitally, it's like they won't even think about it when they're filming now. They'll, we'll worry about that in post production. You know? Yes. And so they don't have to make these decisions early on. They can start a movie without a script, which they do all the time now, you know. This is it, and then they change their ideas as they're going along. You're yeah. like, well, we've already molded these things, now we have to scrap oh, I mean, how many times have I done things that were the most important thing in the movie 
that then gets cut out into something that's was kind of a throwaway thing becomes the thing that they yeah. focus on. And you know, so many times they made things that never used at all that we spend a, you know a year on. You know? Yeah. It's like, but it's all down to decision making, <clears throat> isn't it? Because at the end of the thing, when you see the movie, you kind of go, "Well, when you look at what you ended up with, had you just made that decision before instead of?" Because you can change it, oh. they do change it, and it's almost like it doesn't mean that it's better. It's just that mm-hmm. they changed it because they could, right? Because they want to put their finger. And it changes everything. And it, but I mean, I always say, I wish I could see the movie before I started. Yeah, you know, so you could see what's really going to be used. Oh, that's and what you, you want. Oh, yeah. well, that case, yeah. And then, I'll, then I'll focus and I'll put all my time and effort on this and yeah. this thing. You know, let me ask you something, okay? Because I think I know the answer already. So. It's interesting. Uh, um, tonight, actually, I think is the last face-off. Okay. That since the show on the Sci-Fi Channel, which I actually pitched a makeup reality show to the Sci-Fi Channel uh, before face-off, and and they were really interested, but they said we're going to pass. And and I think the main reason they passed is because I wanted to do it right. I wanted to give people proper time and really show the craft off the way it should be then they decided they were going to do their own version of face off they actually asked me if I wanted to be on it and I said what you just told you just passed on the thing and now you're stealing my idea and you want me to be on it you know fuck you guys you know yeah yeah Uh, and when I first saw you know I watched the show out of curiosity and I went oh this is a bad thing it's like doesn't represent our craft well at all Producers are going to think this is the reason they do everything in CG because you've got these shitty edges and you know, big masky things, and and they're going to think you only need to give people two days, you know. Well, I mean, basically every year they'd call me to be on the show, and I eventually gave in. I thought, well, I might as well get some money out of this <laughs> idea that I gave them, you know. Mm-hmm. And I thought the work I liked that it was putting makeup back on the map, but not necessarily in the best way, you know. Um, but. It got a lot of kids interested in being makeup artists, which I thought was a good thing, you know. And the work started to get better, and I thought, well, you know, I couldn't have done this in two days. Uh, and so I was impressed by some of the work that they were able to do. But I still have mixed feelings about the show. You know, I mean, it's not... And where it really shows... You know, everything on that is... We do a cow and a big, giant face, and we'll put a bunch of shit on them, you know, and it's like all... like. You know, bigger the better. You know, mm-hmm. where it really falls apart is if if you do something that looks like a human. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like uh, it reminds me. Of, like I went to a, a junior college uh, mainly to stay out of Vietnam when I was young, and I was an art major, but it wasn't really an art school. And they were, you know, they were they were really into hard edge paintings you know, where you paint one side blue and one side red with a nice straight line mm-hmm. which to me I didn't consider that art you know and I, and I would paint I tried to paint things that look like something and get in trouble for it yeah you know? absolutely and then you know and you know they'd say oh this, these guys are like brilliant artists and, and then you would see that person in the life drawing class and they couldn't draw personally you know it's like okay yeah, yeah. yeah well, it's like you know you learn the bullshit aspect of this you know mm-hmm. but but it's kind of like that, you know. I mean, they can they can kind of do something, but it's like the real to do something real, yeah. you know. Yeah. Same thing with bloody stuff. I mean, I, I, in the eighties, you know, I would get letters from kids with photos of things that want to get into the business, you know, like every day, basically. And it was always bloody stuff. It's like you know what? Yes, I did bloody stuff when I was a kid. It's fun. You get a response, but 
anybody can do it. You could, you put blood on it. You don't have to have a blending edge. You know, you don't really stare at that long because it's bloody. You know, it's like that doesn't impress me. Doing old age makeup. You know, uh, you feel the same way about it. I'm afraid I do. Uh, but it's it's it is that stigma of like maybe blood and stuff. You're like you know that can be a thing. But I've had emails from people saying I want to be a horror, you know, gore artist, and mm-hmm. that's like. To me, that's like saying, I want to be a mechanic, but only red trucks on Tuesdays that have, you know, left-hand transmission. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, that's a very specific niche thing. You're not going to, mm-hmm. that's not how it works. You mm-hmm. have this skewed version of things, and you would try and steer people away from it. But it's, my worry, what, what frustrates me is when people use makeup effects as a device in order to kind of become something that they think it would give them without really sparing the effort to really care about it and mm-hmm. I think if you do care about it you can spot that a mile off mm-hmm. um, and I, I always try everything I do and every blog post I write has that angle to it where mm. it's like please stop listening to the bullshit listen to the interesting stuff that really matters and if it's hard and difficult then it's probably right mm-hmm. if it's easy or the you get swept up in, and I think products are doing this and I understand they have to make money but if they're implying that by using this product you will become good because mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you can do a shit job with good products. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not mm-hmm. the product's imperative to do that. So, mm-hmm. there, you know, yes, a little bit of me is like that. I mean, it is, I, I do find too that, I mean, there are, and I, and some even more established makeup artists, and that shocked me when it was like, well, you know, as soon as I make a million dollars, I'm out of here, you know, and, and it was like, I'm just in this to make a lot of money, yes. you know, and it was like, I never, had that attitude you know I mean to me it was to make the best thing I could make and so many jobs I put my own money back into the work yes. to make it better because I want it to be cool because you know, again this is how I have fun and how I like you know Yes. and fortunately I, I was uh, I got a, a good lawyer early on in my career who started making me better deals where I actually did make money you know yeah. and, and did quite alright with it you know but that wasn't why I was doing what I was doing you no. know and it's good for you to say I mean if you don't mind me saying it's because I mean you would be considered like an iconic image you may not want to be called that but I, I, other people would agree mm-hmm. but that's not what, you didn't engineer that to be that you had to be what you're doing and you can't control the outcomes of what you do and it, it's, it's when people copy the the perception of what they think it is without really getting to the meat and potatoes of it and I think that's that's the thing that is I'm seeing not less of, but it seems like the image of it is more important to people than what it actually means. Mm-hmm. And when you have chats like this, or you go to any trade show and people are talking about a really niche thing and they're just talking shop, and then you know someone wants to know what's your favorite color, what what what, what makes things better, and it's like no, that's the by asking that very question you have revealed outed yourself <laughs> as not part of. Uh, uh, you know a circle of people that have, have, all, have all bled in different trenches and then when they meet and they go oh my god you have the Dandridrix DVDs or whatever or the you know the Michael Burnett production things or the you know you have that, that original picture of something and something, trying to copy the you know the, the, the hammer stuff and it's something mm. that brings people together and that's what I like to see in people but it's hard to nowadays to engender people you do find people that like it but I, for every person that remembers those things there's a lot of people that have like oh that looks like cool I'll do this until my music career picks up or mm-hmm. I'm a guitarist a writer a director and a sculptor oh, I mean, you I, can't do all of those things well no. you know it's a surgeon I'm an airline pilot and I run you know a hedge fund it's like I bet you're doing all of those things 
badly and I wouldn't be on a flight or on a plane <laughs> yeah. that you're doing it at. No, it's, it's weird to me that, you know, because, and you can tell. I mean, I could tell when I saw Dick Smith's work for the first time that this guy is doing it out of love for the craft more than anything else. You know, it wasn't just a job. He loved what he was doing. It showed in his work. It would be so much better than anybody else's, you know. And uh, and I feel that's in mine as well, and that a lot of the top people are like that. It's not just a job, you know. It's like an obsession and a, and a passion. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and not, unfortunately, not everybody has that. And uh, I've been so shocked by a, a number of the young people I've met, too, where it's like, well, you know, I'm... I just want to get famous, you know. And, and <laughs> well, we had, we were in a shop this morning, I won't say where, but there was a mother that came in with her daughter and we overheard her saying, oh, my daughter's been watching Face Off and wants to get to dinner and she's got something coming up. And it was just like, I hear what you're saying, but it's the wrong way of coming at it. Or well, you just want to kind of intervene with a little conversation, just let me bring you up to speed. And tell because it's these kinds of conversations with people that have been doing it and care about it that they don't hear because it takes a while to sit through that and mm-hmm. it doesn't have the bang and whistle and it's not smothered in tattoos and into death and it's like it, it's just guys who like sculpting or girls that like to stay up late sculpting and drawing and it's, it's getting that passion across but that it doesn't sell mm-hmm. I think that's the problem I think mm-hmm. your attention is grabbed by mm-hmm. flashy lights and easy options and, and the desire to to, to, to shortest route through the least amount of um, I'm, I'm just curious stress. what's going to happen now that face off is done because that at least, like for all these makeup schools, because there's so many makeup schools, uh, that at least was something that would, you know, you could go to this school and possibly get on TV mm. and show people your work, you know, and, and become famous for, you know, get your 15 minutes of fame kind of a thing. And now, I mean, I, it seems like it's going to affect the schools, you know, it's like you don't have that. Well, it does, because unless they've got like a, a, a triaging system of saying, no, no, this is not right, this is not how it should be, mm. which won't, because mm-hmm. there's too much money to be made by having a dream factory, is that where I say it? Yeah. And I don't want it to be like Oh, that. I mean, I was amazed, because, you know, the first school that I was aware of was Joan Blasco's school, and I had did some sculpting for Joan, a project early on, shortly after they started the school, and he invited me to see the first school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when he told me how much money he was making, he was like, God, you're making ten times the amount of money that I'm making working my ass off on films, you know? And uh, I was like, wow. And I couldn't believe that he could get enough people to even go to that school. And then there's, yeah. then there's so many of them now everywhere. It was amazing. I'm trying to think where it was. I'm pretty sure it was on Hollywood Boulevard, but way on the east end. Yeah, well, when he first opened it up, it was in at the uh, Crossroads of the World. So I don't know if you know that place. It's uh, It's... It's actually on Sunset, I think, and it's kind of like it's got like a little uh, windmill and some like European-looking little. Okay. It was like this little like shopping area, I guess, that they made. When did they open that? I tell you, I went with Adrian Rigby in '95. We popped in. Oh no, fuck that! I'm talking about like, oh. the '70s. Oh, correct. Or something, okay. whatever okay. it was okay. when you first up. opened it. I mean, it, was, it was a long time ago, probably before you were born. <laughs> Fair enough. Huh? Wow, you be doing it. Yeah. Okay, so that would be different. But the other thing, I. I find so many of these guys don't know the history of where things came from and how it started out. And I would think that'd be a really important thing to teach in the schools too. And I, I actually did a, a lecture at the Motion Picture Academy. And this was like, I guess it was in the nineties, maybe. Uh, uh, like the history of makeup and film. And the unfortunate thing 
was there wasn't as many people interested in the makeup to begin with, and and the night that I did it was on the night that the final episode of Cheers was going to air, you know. <laughs> so you know it was in the Sam Goldwyn Theater at the Academy, and it was maybe a quarter filled, you know. And I'd worked on this for like months, doing a lot of researching. What was cool is I could get the Academy could find the film, good quality film clips of all these things I wanted to see on the big screen. So mm-hmm. I did for me more than anything else, you know. But I just talked, I, uh, I did this thing the other day, like I started to say uh, for the Motion Picture Academy, and I said, I'd like to do that again, because uh, I think now we'd fill up the theater, you know, but I, I would like these kids to know who George Bow was, or who some of these guys who, or, you know, the Norans were, these people that, or, or Dick Smith for that matter, there's kids yeah. that don't know who Dick Smith is. Yeah, you know, and then, and then, but they know who Glenn Hedricks is, you know. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's knowing and knowing what paths it was that they dug out the ground, you know, to make these things happen. And you know, people are thrown on cutting edges, and like you, not everyone that, that 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 there was the time when that didn't happen, and the benefits that gives you. Do you know where that came from? And you know, why are you making that piece in five pieces? You could do that in silicon; it's not going to shrink. You mm-hmm. can do it in one piece or whatever. It's just and it's knowing the reasons why, like you say. But that takes effort and. I guess there's a natural tendency for people to seek the easy way out. Yeah, probably so. They don't tend to be the better people mm. because it's like anything, isn't it? You, you want to be... And then as I use when I teach classes is like if you were in a, in a bumpy airplane that was landing in a heavy crosswind, you'd like to know that the pilot was someone that aced their class, was very good. You wouldn't want to know that they passed because they were sleeping when the instructor or they scraped through by the skin of their teeth or they paid someone to falsify their documents. You want to know they're good. And it feels like you, everyone, wants to be that person for somebody else. You want to be the guy that they're happy. Oh, I'm so glad Rick's doing it because mm. I'm so glad, whatever. You know, you want it to be, you want to be that person. And I don't understand why that imperative isn't in there. Mm. And it annoys me if people just want to coast through with anything, regardless of what it is. Oh, it's, you know, it's the problem with the world right now, too. It's like taking the easy way out and everything, you know. So and, and it's probably just an extended old man rant that I've got going on. I just <laughs> yeah, need to yeah, shut yeah. up about it. Maybe this is what I've just come to realize. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're old farts now. and like, like, But it's true. I mean, it used to be, you know, people would take pride in their work, which I take pride in my work, you know. And the thing is, too, I mean, it would be, if my name's on it, I want. I'm working on it, and I'm going to be making sure it's as good as it can be. That's how I am, and not everybody's like that. And I think that's also what's happened now on films, where you have an army of producers on a project. I mean, it used to be there'd be a guy you could go to and argue your case, anyways. You know, there'd be a guy who would make a decision. That producer, you know, you go to his office. No, I'm not going to give you that money to do. That's crazy. Let me explain to you. You know. It, to do this, this, and this, and this, and it's going to save you money on that end because we're going to have doubles of it. And if something breaks on the set, it's not going to cost you three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, this around is it. Yeah, you know. It, 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 oh, okay. You know, and then yes, and <laughs> but now you would have to go to forty-seven different people, and none of them would ever make a decision. You know. Yeah. And or, or they just come up with some cockamamie thing. Well, why don't you? You know. Like, this is yeah. This is the problem. Everything is so broken down that yeah, no one's prepared to commit. We want this many on this date looking like this and sign off on it in enough time. And it almost feels like that way of working is almost the death knell of anything that has to be made in advance because it doesn't suit that skitty kind of like I'm changing my last minute because I can. Right. Yeah. And again, this is I blame digital for this. And this yeah. is the, the digital way of thinking. They know they can do that digitally. You know, yes. like and it's true. Like I said, that's uh, and I understand not wanting to make those decisions up front. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, decision making is one of the hardest things and <laughs> that stuff. But but it's also I mean, like I said, a lot of these people aren't in it 
because they don't. It's not like they want the movie to be the greatest movie ever made and have a pride in the thing. It's just like yeah. I want to make as much money as I can make. Yeah. And they think that I have that attitude, or anybody else that they're going to is. So you know, the first thing they're doing is probably the cheapest, fastest way of doing it, and we'll just say no. Uh, and they're going to have to do it right eventually, you know. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. like, no, you're just wasting my time. You're taking all my pre-production time away from me. I won't be able to do it right, yeah, because I'm jumping through stupid producer hoops, and yes. you're affecting my work, you know. And <laughs> yeah, and you, the curse of it is you're seeing the outcomes of those decisions now, and go, I know we're going to have to fix this later. But that just sounds like an excuse because you're trying to feather your nest, as far as they're concerned. So mm-hmm. You can't, you can't convince them. It's a different one. It's a no, different and one. I've had, you know, I've been on so many films where I, I would go to him and go, I do not understand why you hired me because you're not letting me do my job. Mm. You don't, you're not giving me any, you don't have any faith in that I'm going to do it right. You know, and they go, well, we hired you because you're the best. You did American Werewolf. And they go, then give me, let me do that. I go, you know what happened to American Werewolf? John said, you're the expert at this stuff. You do it. He goes, I want a four-legged hound from hell. I go, I really like a two-legged werewolf. No, it's a four-legged hound from hell. Make me a four-legged hound from hell. Okay. I sculpted it and made the first sculpture was the final head. All the transformation stuff, I just, we didn't go through design hell of moving things and stuff. I just did it and that's what it was. And it still looks pretty damn good 35 years later. I would you know? agree with that. And it's like, let me do that. <laughs> you know, just if you're getting get a better result if you you came to me because I'm an expert at what I do. Have faith that I'm going to do it right and let me do it and give me as much time as I you know instead of wasting the time changing stupid ass things. You know, mm-hmm. uh, no, just like I said, straight, get me all worked up again. <laughs> my, I think my only hope is that people make their own little independent movies that are fantastic because they're not bogged down with all this committee mentality and and eventually maybe the industry would go. These are good because. You just let people... That means there'll probably be a lot of awful stuff, but there'll also be some very good stuff, because like you were saying with the, the American Wealth stuff, the chain between a good idea and it being on camera was a much shorter one. Just a strong, but a shorter chain. It didn't have to go through all these different... It's well, almost but like we did think whispers. about it, too, you know, and the whole transformation. You know, I mean, John... I, you know, at first I was trying to figure out how to do it all in one shot, which we couldn't have done at that time anyways, you know, but I kept trying to... Think. And John said, there's no way I want to do it that way anyways. Dramatically, it isn't going to work as well as me pointing out these are his feet stretching out, this is his ear, you know, like that. I want to show these different parts, you know. But we storyboarded the whole transformation. We thought about it in advance, you know. And we pretty much, I mean, that was one of the few films in my entire career, and I'm talking like 45 years of making films, where we actually shot the script that I read in the beginning, you know. The only difference was the cinema... In the original script was a cartoon cinema because their Aero Cinema at Piccadilly Cir- Circus there when John was there when he was a kid was a cartoon cinema. Then when we got there it was a porn cinema, so we changed it. <laughs> so, but rarely does that ever happen now where you you know, they give you a script and then when you by the end, you know, it's been rewritten by oh, yeah. so many different people. Shop, Usually yeah. on the day, on the set, you know. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's you know, I will complain about the film industry constantly, but I also am so grateful that I had my life that I had and that mm-hmm. I was able to make my hobby that you know I had to like mow lawns and save my insurance uh, my allowance and, and forever just to buy a quart of rubber, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that you know, I, I was able to do this and make 
make stuff that I could have never made on my own and and you know get awards and all this shit you know it's it, the work I love you know it's just that it's different now it it's is really different and it, and it just you know like I said I just found it so soul sucking and I just I just need to make stuff and have fun again you know when I still can because you know I I'm old and I see my friends dying and I see people losing ability to do stuff and I just I'm going to be really pissed off if I'm yeah, you working on some shitty movie doing a shitty job for some asshole producer and end up having a stroke and can't do anything creative again yeah. you know and that's what I ended my life doing you know? yeah, no, like, absolutely it's, yeah. it's the right thing to do and I think for, for anyone that was going to be working wants to work in the film industry I think it's it's tough because obviously they will ask people who are currently doing it or pe- people including myself who are familiar with how it was done they're probably not the right ones to ask because the digital people know their side of things the practical but there isn't a lot of crossover yet where people are so unfair with that and comfortable so it's almost like the, how it's going to be done in 10 years from now probably won't be how it was done. because like you saying about there was 10 years between the American Wealth thing coming up and then you actually doing it I suspect there wasn't a significant amount of advancements technologically with the material <coughs> Whereas, it was just a different way of thinking about it. Right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. In, if you were to if he was to talk to you about a movie he's going to make, and then ten years time it happened, the way you would do it in twenty twenty eight would be, I'm sure, I don't know, but I'm pretty certain it'd be completely different because we know, having seen the, the rapid curve of of change, both in materials practically, but also digitally, whether mm. or not that would even be a thing you would watch with your eyes, or would you be vibrated direct into your brain, or. How would you... I have no idea. I, yeah, no, my yeah. expectation is already stretched out. <laughs> but again, I mean, that's one reason I wanted to learn the digital stuff as well, because so I could have conversations with these people. Uh, and Because and, and, a lot of times I go, well, you can't do that. And it's like, no, you can. I've done it on my computer. <laughs> you know, all you have right, to do right. is this, you know. Oh, okay, well, I can't pull the wool over this guy's eye. You know? <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, it's. I just wish that there was more, like I said, more cooperation between the two I mean it's it's happening now and then and it's nice when you see you know digital stuff and makeup stuff playing nicely together you mm-hmm. know and, and that was one thing <clears throat> when one of my last films with the Man Black 3 I my friend Ken Ralston was the visual effects supervisor I've known Ken since I was 17 I and having done the other two Men in Black movies where we made Characters that you could shoot an entire movie around, that complete animatronic heads that did all kinds of shit, and then when you see the film, it's in a shot like that, you know, where they pan across it and you don't even know it's there, you know, it's not even moving at the shot, you know, it's like, well, fuck, that was a sure, it was a lot of waste of money, you know. I said, let's make a bunch of masks basically that don't do anything. We won't spend time making mechanical eyes and blinks. If it's on screen long enough where you need a blink, Ken will put one in there, and and I. And trust that he would do that, and he did. You know? Yeah, yeah. And but see, even that comes down to making decisions because if you know, if you have a big crowd scene, and you say, okay, you know, we could spend a lot of time in every one of these. They could all be makeups. All the guys in the background could be puller masks. The mid-grounds could be, mm-hmm. you know, generic pieces. The, the three guys that are closest to frame, they're night. They're the ones we spend the time and money on. But it makes it needs someone to control that set, and make sure that they don't. You know, you get your supporting artists clawing their way to the front because they want to be able to recognize themselves. Uh, so it still requires. That thing, and I think that's the danger is you get people at the beginning who don't want to make decisions, who aren't firm about what they want. And I will call over broken glass for a direct, you know, who knows what they want. Mm-hmm. And I've had awkward, very difficult 
music video directors who were young, but they knew what they wanted. And it was actually fine. And other people who are a bit flaky, you know, you burn yourself up on all the possible options. And it's like, you, you want someone that knows what they want so they can control that. And then you can put that money into it. Or the alternative is we don't know what we want, so we have to make everything top-notch and it costs a fortune. They only see it briefly, like I say, without why, because the decisions weren't made. Mm-hmm. And then they go, look how much this cost. Mm-hmm. For that. It didn't need to because you were a dick and you didn't know what you wanted. Oh. That's the problem. Not. Oh, no, that's the thing. That's the hardest thing is to get an answer. You yeah. know, and... <laughs> even if it's you know like you said I mean if I don't necessarily agree with it but at least if the guy has a vision and this is and he's giving you an answer and in a direction you can start making something you know great I mean I, I you know on Men in Black the first Men in Black before Barry and I had a relationship uh, uh, you know in, in, where he trusted me uh, yeah it was like I was calling him up all the time going I don't understand this this doesn't make sense you know how, why don't we do this you know and and uh, you know, he just thought it was a major pain in the ass, you know, and he pretty much said, yeah, well, it doesn't make sense, but it doesn't matter. In the end, it really didn't matter, you know. Uh, but at least, you know, it was a guy, you know, I, he would eventually give me an answer. You know, <laughs> but uh, it's it's the hardest thing, you know. And then when you have 47 producers who want to be creative and have something to say, it's just that much harder to get an answer, you know. So. Yeah, it's that committee thing again. Everyone wants to be able to say, that looks like that because of me. I made that decision. When you're talking about independent films and stuff, did you see? Have you seen Dave and Lou Elsie's film that I was? No, in? no, I wanted to. Yeah. See the one you're in. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's I want to see that. Uh, it's really good, actually. I mean, it's we they had a screening the other night at just down the road here at this L.A. Shorts Film Festival, and um, we I sat through the other eight films that were in the category. And a really mixed bag. Um, but I have to say, Dave and Luz was the only one that had a story that you could follow, and it was and it was like it was a complete film all in itself, you know. And you could you knew what was going on. You had some guys that looked like they had their little handy cam shooting some stuff, and it wasn't. It was like, and there was another uh, some intern at Warner Brothers that got Warner Brothers spent a hundred thousand dollars on her film. And gave her the whole use of the facility and the people there to make her movie, you know, competing against a guy with his little handy cam. And Dave and Lou's film was shot three days for, uh, you know, I think it was under $10,000, which was their own money, you know, but looks great and is good, you know, tells his story. You know, the $100,000 one was one of the better ones in the, in the thing, but it's still like, I'm not sure what's going on. A lot of these films is like, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> Have the idea first. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it was like, that was, you know, that's what Dave said. Because we had a story, they had ideas, but there's not a story to it. You know, you have an idea, but it's not, there's not the whole story there. You know? Yeah. Um, and it's weird, isn't it? Because in a way, if someone has a good story, it, it, it's almost like that should be the cheapest element of mm-hmm. the entire thing. You know, mm-hmm. at, at most it's a typewriter and some time. I mean, I know, you know, hiring a writer is not a cheap thing, but I just mean you, they should finance good ideas mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than just try and, well, you know, gild I, crap until I it's nice and shiny. I, I can't even, I, I can't even go see one of those Marvel movies anymore. You know, I mean, they're all the same, and it's very loud and noisy, I, and, and the city gets destroyed, and and we've seen it so many times now. Uh, it has no impact, and I mean, and all these things. I mean, I've sat through so many big effects films and I think I should be jumping up and down because 
I like this stuff, <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. I'd rather sit through 20 minutes of bad acting and dialogue in a Ray Harryhausen film to see the few stop-motion shots that he's doing. And you got much more excited about that stuff. And, yeah. You know, and yeah, you just get... Um, and it's just... And it, we've seen it so many times now, too, you know. But again, it's like... I, the films I tend to like have, like, characters in them and a story, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... And I'll watch them again and again, you know. It's like, Anyways, again, I'm going back to the crab-ass old fart guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I do say, you know, I would say, to anybody that's listening to this, you know, it's a fun job if you, and, you know, like I said, if you like making things <laughs> and doing stuff, and, and like I said, I, I feel so lucky that it worked for me somehow. I mean, I, and the only reason I think it did is because I didn't care so much about the work, and I was doing it out of love, you know. Um, I didn't care about. It. I didn't like having a business, and I hate that part of it. You know? yeah, yeah. But it's so fun to make things, you know. I think that's the thing. It's, it's, it all comes back to the act of making and being responsible for something that you've created, and not thinking that has to belong to movies. Mm-hmm. I think it, mm-hmm. it's 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 nice that it, it does. That does not feel nice. But I've enjoyed things that didn't get filmed because I did them for fun. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. It's connecting with being responsible for creative things. And that's one of the things I say a lot, too, is that one of the things I love about the film industry is one of the things I hate about it, which is it's such a collaborative medium. And when the collaboration works, it can be great. People can bring things to your work that you never would have done on your own, you know. But it's rare that that works, and when it doesn't work, it can be hell. Yeah. So, um, Especially if there's, like you said, there's a sequence or there's a chain of people, and it ends up being like the most sort of the person who can be the least af- affected by other people's feelings mm-hmm. is the one that ends up taking over because by their nature they're the, mm-hmm. the spikiest one in the mm-hmm. lot. The alpha, yeah, alpha male. Chest yeah. beating kind of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. But again, I, I, and this is something I said the other day, this talk I did to these intern kind of guys is I learned on my first film that you can't, you got to be prepared for anything, that you can't believe when they say we're never going to see that part that they aren't going to show that, you know, and and if they say it's going to be, it's only going to be on the right side, you know, on the day it's going to be on the left, you know, so, mm-hmm. and you got to think fast a lot of times too. It's like when I did the ring, that girl that's in the closet, you know, we before we built it, we got the director and everybody came to my studio. We put somebody in different positions, took pictures, you know, we all looked at the pictures. We chose the position they're going to be in. So I said, I don't want to make this thing, you know, on the day, have it be wrong. You know, we all agreed, everybody signs off, I make the dummy, go to the set. Sure enough, oh, we decided it'd be better if we put it on the other side, so she's going to have to be facing the other way. And I go, we had major discussions about this. We all signed off on the photos. She's pressed up against the wall, so we cast her pressed up against the wall, so she's flat on this side. Mm-hmm. So when we turn her around, you're going to see a flat. Mm-hmm. It's not, and they go, well, can you fix it? And they go, it, we worked on this for a long time, you yeah. know. This, you know, and they go, well, you know, it just when we were filming this, it just seemed like it was going to be better if it was going to be on that side. And they go, well, I understand that, but it's not going to work on that side, you know. And they go, well, what are we going to do? And it's like, why don't we put it on the side where we said it was going to be? I'll part her hair on the other side. We can flop the image, you know. And it's like, okay. <laughs> and it worked, you know. But it's like, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the, but 
yeah, suddenly that became your problem. It's like, but it isn't. You just change your mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But like I was saying, on Octoman, which is my first film, and, and I didn't design the character. They already had it designed, but it had these tentacles that went into what looked like elf shoes. You know, I think kind of looked like elf shoes. You know, I go, and I said, there's not a good way for me to make this. And again, we had like no time and no money, you know. And I was doing it when I was a full-time student, actually. Um, I was worried about the join, you know. He goes, we're never going to see his feet. There's going to be one shot where we actually see the whole guy, and we're going to set it up so you can make it look really cool. It's going to be the money shot. Other than that's going to be a blur-through frame, you know. Cut to when I first see the movie, the first shot was a shot of that yeah. that part that was never going to be seen, and it went on for ten minutes, you know. And then and then there's another shot of a part you weren't going to see, you know. And, and there never was the money shot that they said yeah, there yeah, was yeah. going to be, you know. So yeah. it's like, okay, they're all a bunch of liars, you know. So, and I don't think it's necessarily they're even lying. It's just they don't know at that time, you know. And that was yeah, they yeah. start out with good intentions, but the reality of making a movie in ten days, you know, is it change things, you know. So. Yeah. So you got to be smart and think fast. Okay, let's get some lunch. Perfect. That was a very nice segue. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Will you get a bit of time to chill out in China? Um, not really. I think I have maybe a day before everything starts full tilt when mm-hmm. I get there. Okay. And, and then I think it's yeah. going to be pretty, pretty nonstop until I leave. Which is okay, you know. I, I'd I'd rather have a full schedule than yeah, absolutely sitting around. It's kind of kind of defeats the purpose of going. Yeah, because of where you're going as well. It's not like you're going to know lots of people, and do you know what I mean? You want to just kind of do your thing and and keep busy the whole time you're there. Yeah, but I think I think about half the class for my my mask making workshop is students from my my five week course last year oh that's cool which will which will be fun your christmas present has shipped so Mm -hmm. it should be here when i get home and i will send it (laughs) off to you did you get me a rubber chicken yeah (laughs) amazing thank you very much well everybody everybody (laughs) should have one i gotta post something to you i gotta i got i got something for you it's not a rubber chicken Uh uh-huh because you already have one well i got my i'm getting a new one I'm getting a a big one. So, as ever, if you want to get in touch with us direct, you can email us direct at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Yep. We're still working on getting our website up, and uh, in all my spare time, I'm going to build us an Instagram page so we can start posting silly pictures of everything that we do. Yes, that'd be good. Um, and, 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 and I think the email address may stay at stuartandtodd.gmail.com just because it's nice and easy. Um, but, uh, the website will be going up soon and that will be battles of, with bits of rubber.com. So, uh, as in when it goes live, I shall be announcing that, uh, hopefully before Christmas, Yeehaw. uh, that'll be fun. Um, so there we go. So, uh, please, like I say, if you, um, want to get in touch with us, you can, we also have a Facebook page. And hopefully uh, we'll have that uh, Instagram up. We already have a Facebook page. We already have an email. So get in touch if you have any questions. Or if you have a question that you want to ask about something you want to see covered in this podcast, then we would love to hear from you. We have quite a few coming up. I'm going to put together. And tell your friends. Please do. Yeah, it's nice. It it helps spread the word. If you like what you've heard and you know someone that's into this, then let us, uh, you know, let them know and, and we'll grow. Like... 
cells on a cultured tray. Like a yeah, weed. Like a weed. There we go. Um, we are on, on Spotify, on uh, iTunes, on SoundCloud. We're easy to find on your favorite podcast app. There we go. Yeah. So check it out. You bet. Thank you very much. Cheers, Stu. Cheers, Talk to Todd. You soon. I'll, I'll, give you a jing- I'll give you a jingle from China. Yes, that'd be fantastic. Thank you. All right, man. Okay. Take care, fella. Later. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Bye.